a look at the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. Today on Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. Join us. Ever find it fascinating that Jesus didn't show up just three days before the cross, suffer, die, and rise again on the third day to go to heaven? He was born a baby. Well, that's because there was an earthly ministry attached to this redemption that he works out in the cross. And we'll see the significance of that here today on Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. Welcome to the broadcast. We would invite you to join us as we continue with our series, Elements of Jesus' Ministry. Here now with today's broadcast, again from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. Our teacher and pastor now is Pastor Steve Converse. This morning we read out of, out of the Gospel of John, and, and one thing that I wanted to kind of bring across this morning is we want to look at three elements of Jesus' ministry, three basic things that were very essential to his uh, ministry while he was here on earth. And one of the ways in which Jesus demonstrated that he was God was obviously through the different miracles of healing that he did. And they kind of served as his credentials, you might say. He said he was the son of God, and, and so he taught and, and healed people and, and did various things that caused people to step back and go, wow, you know, the ordinary man couldn't do this. There must be something special about this person. Um, John, in particular, was kind of the, the Gospel of John, and, and the writer there was particular about getting that across, because he talks a lot about the miracles. And even in John 20, verses 30 and 31, he says, Many other signs, therefore, Jesus performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. So we don't have all the details of what Jesus did while he was here on earth. We just have some of it. But he says, But these have been written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. See, that's a very essential thing to understand, that Jesus is God. He's the Son of God. Um, Matthew also kind of confirms that and, and basically speaks of through the mighty works and, and through his teachings and his miracles and everything that Jesus is exactly who he said he was, the Messiah, the coming king. And that's how the gospel of Matthew is kind of uh, bringing Christ across as the, the king. And uh, the one thing that is, is kind of important to understand is that if he wasn't God, none of this would matter. Do you understand that? None of it. We wouldn't even be here if Jesus wasn't God. There'd be no reason for us to be here if Jesus wasn't God. And all the, the Gospels basically do, their, their sole mission is to present Jesus as the Messiah, as Lord and Savior, as God, the very Son of God. And apart from that, if you're, if you're sitting here this morning and say, well, I don't believe Jesus is God, well, I don't have anything else for you. There's nothing else for you to give. If, if you can't get by that, that you understand that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, there's nothing else. There's nobody that died for your sins other than Jesus. But if you don't believe Jesus was God, well, who cares? So it's a very essential thing that we understand in Christianity. And so what he said, if, he, if we believe that Jesus was God, what he said was the what? It was the word of God. What he spoke, the words he spoke were not just idle words. They were the very words of the living God. And everything that he did that's contained in the, in the Gospels, as we read them in, in different parts of Scripture, gives us details about what Jesus did while he was here on earth. All the works that he did, everything he did was the work of God. There was nothing Jesus Christ ever did that was his own work, because he was God. And as we read this morning, he said, he who believes in me, you have to believe in the one who sent me. And what he's saying is, I'm God, just as much as God the Father is God. And a lot of times when he would say things like that, people were astounded. They couldn't understand it especially the Pharisees of the day. It's because Jesus' claims were so 
far out in their mindset. They suggested even in one occasion that he was demon-possessed or that he may have been even insane. That's how far out they thought he was. But others were wiser. In John 10, 19 to 21, it says, These are not the sayings of one demon-possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of the blind, can he? So they had a problem with what Jesus was saying and what he was doing. He was doing these miraculous things, and yet the words he spoke were just kind of a stumbling block in the mind of the Pharisee of the day. Even the man who was healed of blindness in in John 9, he says, well, here is an amazing thing. Here's what this guy said. He was healed. He says, you don't know where this guy's coming from, speaking of Jesus, but he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. That's a first-hand account of somebody who was healed of their blindness. But his works and his words were all amazing. Even in John 7, 46, the Pharisees themselves, the chief priests, they said, never did a man speak the way this man speaks. He just blew him away every time he opened his mouth. At the end of the uh, Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, it says, the multitudes were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority, not as their own scribes. They weren't used to that. Their scribes had no authority because they denied everything that they believed in, basically. So they had no authority to base their teaching on. And Jesus was, came on the scene, and all of a sudden he kind of overwhelmed them every time he opened his mouth. And in Matthew chapter 4, we kind of saw already in, in the previous messages that Jesus came in Matthew 12, 17, we talked about he came at the right time, at the right place, with the right message. It was all designed by God. It wasn't just like he woke up one day and said, ah, I think I'll just start a ministry. That sounds good. I'm 30 and not doing much, so, you know, getting tired of the carpentry stuff. So I think I'll start a ministry. That's not, no, it was all the plan of God from the very beginning, even before that. And last week we looked at verses 18 to 22 where he chose the right partners. He chose people to work with him. And you know what? We're one of those people that he chooses to work with him. God doesn't save us to be spectators in a pew every week and, and sit here and just say, oh, okay, well, I hope the pastor has a good message. I hope the songs are good and, and you know, hope it gets me through this next week. That's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about following in the footsteps of Christ. And when you follow in the footsteps of Christ, Jesus did a little bit more than just go to the synagogue once a week. He was out ministering. He was fellowshipping. He was dealing with the people that he chose to, to raise them up. He spent time with them. Well, this morning we look at the right plan that he has, because that's what it is. This right plan that Jesus had was from the Father, and it contains three elements. And his, his goal here is to establish that he is who he said he was, establish his deity, to establish him by his words and also by his works. Look at there in, in Matthew 4, 23, it says, And Jesus was going about in all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues. He was going about. What's that mean? Is he just out there wandering around? It's actually in the, in the original language, it's in the imperfect tense, which means it's a repeated and continuous action. This is something that was in Jesus' very fiber, that he could not just sit there and do nothing. He was constantly going about in all of Galilee. And it kind of summarizes his ministry there in the Galilee area. And if you look at the, the, the next couple chapters in Matthew, basically chapters 5 through 9 give us the details about what he did while he was in Galilee. And we're going to be looking at that in the coming weeks. In verses 5 to 7, it talks about the words he spoke. The Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be looking at that in detail. And then in chapters 8 through 9, it talks about all the works that he did in Galilee. 
So you can kind of break it down that way as we head into that, just kind of give you a little bit of direction. But when he says he's going about in Galilee, it doesn't mean that he visited every single person, every village. But it emphasized that he ministered throughout the area. And that area is not that big. It's 60 by 30 miles. So it's, it's not a huge, huge area. And so as Jesus moved about, if you wanted to get near Jesus, if you wanted to hear and be part of his ministry, you wouldn't have to travel too far. So he was available to a lot of different people. We talked about earlier that this area, Galilee, was known as the Galilee of the Gentiles in the, in the Jewish mind. It was just looked as, a, you know, all oh, those Gentiles, they're just, ugh. And yet Jesus started his ministry right there. And we see here that it says that he went about through all Galilee. And what did he do? He was teaching where? It says in the what? In the synagogues, right? He was teaching in the synagogues. Now that's kind of interesting in that this area was known as the Galilee of the Gentiles. So there was still some form of Jewish population there. Uh, it's interesting, when you think of synagogues, there's a synagogue right down here in Alameda de los Plugas, down a couple blocks. And I don't know what comes into your mind when you think of a synagogue, but basically synagogues, they believe, developed during the Babylonian exile, when they were in exile in, in, in Babylon. And, and, and all that that happened back then, basically during the intertestamental period between the Old and the New Testament, their influence kind of expanded, you might say. Because before the synagogue, they had the what? The temple, right? Well, you couldn't always get to the temple. If you were, you know, poor or whatever, you couldn't always travel to Jerusalem where the temple was at the time and, and you know, be expected to be there and everything. So they, they started having synagogues, which made sense. And the synagogue basically was the central area of the life of a, of a Jewish person, kind of like the church should be for the Christian. And basically, these synagogues popped up all over, everywhere, in Israel and even beyond Israel. And all the religious, Jewish religious and social life centered around that. That's the way it used to be in the church. If you were a Christian, your life centered around the church in America. That's just the way it was, you know. And, and, and it's funny that we've come so far that, you know, rather than be the hub of society, the church now is maybe it's lucky to be one of the little spokes on the wheel somewhere. You know, and maybe we can fit it into our schedule. Sad, but that's the truth. But these synagogues basically were established everywhere, and they were for a place of worship. They were for a place of study. They were used them for a place of community fellowship and even for legal activity. They even took care of some legal squabbles within the synagogue, within the synagogue itself. And the greatest tragedy that could befall someone of the Jewish faith, faith was to be what they called the synagogue, be kicked out of the synagogue for whatever reason. They took that very seriously. That's why in the book of Hebrews, when you read about these, these Jews who were kind of grappling with the gospel, and they were constantly going back into their Jewish life, and they didn't know what to do, that's why. Because it was a very serious thing for a Jew to become a Christian, because immediately they were ostracized from their family, from their society, from their synagogue. And that was like a, a, just a cloud over their head. And so some Jews came to faith in Christ, but they wanted to keep one foot still in the, in the Jewish faith. So they were holding on to some of the traditions and things like that, and that's addressed in, in the book of Hebrews. But it's, it's interesting to me that when you look at these synagogues, they really symbolize kind of what the church is. They really do. Most synagogues back then were built on a hill, and history tells us that when they built, got done building the synagogue, they would put a big like pole on the roof pointing upward, kind of like a steeple. Why? So when someone of the Jewish faith came into that town, they could look up and, oh, there it is. They just knew exactly where it was. It's interesting. There was somebody who, I don't know if they're still coming to our church or came to our church. I remember talking to somebody one time and I asked him, how did, I think it was 
Keaton Dudley, how, how they came to this church, and they said, well, they were somewhere, and they saw this steeple. <laughs> and I thought, wow, that's weird. I don't know who that was, but it, that was an interesting story, because I thought, you know, I always wondered, why did they put the pointy thing up there anyway, you know? Um, I know the pigeons don't like it or whatever. That thing's pretty sharp. But, you know, the synagogues did much the same thing. And also, they were, they, were, they were in most towns that had at least 10 Jewish believers. They would have a synagogue. And every Sabbath day, which would be on Saturday, they would hold worship. And the worship, basically, the Sabbath would begin at sundown on Friday and end at sundown on Saturday. And they also had special services, feasts, and fellowship times, and festivals, and everything on the second and fifth days of, of every of, uh, the, the month and week and different things like that. And so it was kind of a, a hub of their religious society. Now, I said that they could take care of some legal activity, okay? And they could basically handle anything legally within the synagogue itself, which is kind of interesting. The Romans allowed them to do that. There's only one thing that they couldn't do. The one thing they could not do was execute somebody. That's the only thing they couldn't do. They could take care of all the other legal things. The Romans said, hey, go ahead, handle it with all your traditions and all that stuff. You just can't basically put someone to death. That's why, you remember, when the, when the Jewish leaders needed to put Pilate, or needed to put Jesus to death, what did they have to do? They had to go to Pilate to get his permission to crucify Jesus because they weren't allowed to carry out a death sentence. But over and over again, we see that these synagogues we're much like churches, and sometimes they would have a guest speaker. A couple of weeks ago, we had Ken Needham come and speak, and he, he filled the pulpit here and, and, and preached, and it, it was a real blessing. Well, it wasn't that much different back then. If you had a, somebody come and visit your synagogue, basically, they were allowed to stand up and expound the Scripture as a guest. It was kind of a guest of honor kind of a thing. And Jesus did that. Paul took advantage of that also on various occasions. And so it's much like the church is today. As a matter of fact, they even had kind of a form of membership within the synagogues. Because if you, if you could be kicked out of a synagogue, well, then you had to belong to a synagogue. So it was kind of an important thing for them to understand who was part of the body. You know, and sometimes people don't get the idea of church membership and everything, and well, I've never heard of that. Or, and that's fine. Okay, but we really believe that it's a biblical thing. Throughout the book of Acts and everything, you constantly see them numbering the people. They're constantly, you have to know who is part of your body. And it's not a legalistic thing with us. We don't feel that we're the only church on the block, and we don't feel that you have to you know, put your membership here, you can't walk through the door. We're not that way at all. Matter of fact, we're rather low-key about it. But we do feel that it's a sign of commitment to the local church, much as it was in even their day with synagogues. And so these synagogues of Galilee provided Jesus for his first platform of teaching. And in almost any community, there would be a synagogue. And when he would visit, he was always asked to stand up and, and kind of expound the scripture, to teach the scripture. Now, it's interesting because that word teach there, okay, refers to the passing on of information, passing of information from one person to another. And it's not always the case, but usually in, in the original language, this word especially, a lot of times this kind of passing on of information would take place in a formal setting. It wouldn't be something where, you know, you just kind of mosey on up and, oh, you know, I got something to do, you know. No, it wouldn't be that way in the synagogue. It would be a very formal thing. And when the visitor came, they would ask him formally, and he would accept formally. And then, the, you know, there was a whole kind of a thing that went on within the synagogue that you'd know that this is the person that's going to teach. And it focused on the content of their scripture. And it was really important for them to understand what the scripture was saying. And really, that's not too much different than what the church is today. We're here this morning, hopefully, for the purpose of discovering the truth in God's word. 
Um, you know, and that was in that day. It was different in the in the forums of the Greeks. They would all come together, and someone would say something, and they'd sit around. Well, what do you think about this? What do you think about? This? It wasn't formal at all. It was very informal, but it was just kind of a a big dialogue. Everybody shared, and nobody was ever right, wrong, and everybody was right, and you could share whatever you want because they're they were into all kinds of philosophies and everything. So it was kind of interesting to hear them, uh, you know, discuss these things because everybody could just kind of expound on whatever they wanted. Well. In the synagogue, it wasn't that way. It was very direct. When a person got up to teach, he always taught from the scripture. He didn't get up and teach from, you know, uh, five ways to have a happy family or something. It was always from God's word. And that's one thing that today, a lot of churches, unfortunately, are, are, are missing. And, and we want to make sure that we're always in a text of scripture. Not that we don't teach topically occasionally. We do. But usually, we're going through a book of the Bible. Because I feel that, you know what? That's, that's the best way to do it. It covers everything that's in there, and, and you're not getting up on your hobby horse and preaching to people, whatever. You're just kind of explaining what the text is saying and how to apply it to our lives. And so that's basically what it was. It was basically expository in nature. And today, in our churches, I believe it should be the same. So that was the teaching aspect of Jesus' ministry. Well, he also, it says that in proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, preaching, in other words, Preaching the gospel. The idea there is to herald something out, to cry something out. You know, we've heard of the town crier, you know, the guy that runs through the town and yells whatever news is, is that needs to happen. All right? Well, this is kind of the form of that. And it, it, in relation to teaching, teaching is basically explaining the message of Scripture. That's what teaching is, okay? Preaching or proclaiming it is, 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 is basically heralding the message of Scripture, Simply announcing it. There's not a lot of teaching done in the aspect of preaching. Now, a lot of times people will teach and preach. You're, you're doing both. You're teaching what the Scripture says, but you're also heralding the announcement of the gospel. And so, when they would interpret the Old Testament, Jesus, in his teaching, he'd also proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. That's what it says there. It says, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel means what? Good news. It's the good news that the kingdom was coming, and that's the, the news that Jesus preached throughout all Galilee. And he really continued to do what John the Baptist had already begun. He proclaimed the kingdom, but he didn't proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. John the Baptist's message was different. He was, he was a faithful messenger of that message, but the good news of Jesus Christ was the gospel of the kingdom. See, John's message called men to what? Repent of their sins, to prepare themselves for the coming king, uh, Matthew 3, 1 to 10. He focused on what? He focused on sin. He focused on judgment. Basically, he was the bad news that, that led people up to the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, I, in investigation, sometimes you have this thing they call good, cat, good cop, bad cop. You get somebody in a room, and the guy comes, oh, you need some water or whatever. And I've seen this work. I mean, it just works. And, oh, yeah, you know, okay. And then, you know, they won't talk to that guy, so the next guy comes in. Next investigator sits down with him, and basically, he's the bad guy. You know, takes the water away, takes the cigarettes away, and just kind of whatever. Well, eventually, it gets back to the good guy, and then the guy's a little more kind of worked up to talk because he doesn't want the bad guy to come back in. Well, that's kind of what it was like with John the Baptist and Jesus. John the Baptist kind of prepared people for the good news of the gospel of the kingdom. John the Baptist just said the, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. And so his preaching became more and more uh, stern, Jesus did, as it went on. He, he pointed out that people were hypocrites. 
And even on occasion, they became violent against him. And there was occasions when Christ had to kind of escape for his life. But the king's first proclamation was good news. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says that he could deliver us from the domain of darkness and transfer us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's the good news of the gospel. The gospel is that we can have salvation through Jesus Christ. The good news is that God's kingdom, that, that sphere of God's rule, is open to anyone who puts their trust in the king. It kind of makes sense. If you have a kingdom, then you're going to have to be loyal to the king of that kingdom, who is Jesus Christ. And so the Jews were under the, the rule of Rome at the time. And before that, they'd been under the, the Greeks and the Medes and the Persians and all sorts of people, Babylonians. And see, they really wanted their own king. And so Christ came on the, the land there and said, hey, I'm the king. I'm the king. You know, and they rejected him. They rejected their own Messiah. If they would have, I really believe if they would have believed that Jesus was who he said he was, and they would have accepted him as the Messiah, his kingdom literally would have come to earth at that time. But it didn't happen. It wasn't in the cards. So they rejected the king, and they also rejected his gospel. They rejected the earthly promised kingdom. And so when he spoke, he spoke powerful words. He spoke eternal words like nobody else has ever spoken. And so his teaching was right on. His preaching was right on. Even people in his hometown of Nazareth, we're speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which, fallen, which were fallen from his lips. When he went down to Capernaum, it says, they said they were amazed at his teaching, for his message was with authority. Even his cleverest enemies could never trap him in his own words or confuse him or confound him. I mean, he was God. How could you do that, right? But they didn't believe that, so they were always trying to trick him. And his preaching and his teaching was about the kingdom. And they were really elements of his ministry. Well, there's a third element of his ministry. In Matthew 4, 23, at the end there it says, And healing all kinds of sickness, all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went out throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. See, we have to stop and we have to realize that some people are sick and unhealthy because they have foolish habits. They don't take care of the temple that God entrusted to them. Others suffer as a direct result, as a consequence of their sin. Sickness happens to a variety of people for a variety of reasons. I think some people are sick because God wants them to be sick. He has a purpose. He wants to carry that purpose out, that his glory, that the works of God might be displayed in their life. The Elements of Jesus Ministry, that is the title of our series that we're currently in the middle of, a copy of which is available when you call or write to us here at Graceful Truth. You can reach us at 650-366-9923, that's 650-366-9923, or visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. You're also welcome to write to us. The address is 2225 Euclid. Redwood City, the zip code is 94061. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. And we offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade 5. 
If you would like to encourage us here at the Graceful Truth Program, or if you would like directions or further information about when and where we meet, again, simply call us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City at 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. As we close out our time together today, our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse, joins us once again with a look ahead to a special conference coming up in October. Steve? Thanks, Andy. I'd just like to share some exciting information with the ladies in our listening audience. Ladies, we have a real blessing for you coming up on Saturday, October 2nd, here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We'll be hosting women's speaker and author, Cynthia Heald, for our Fall Women's Conference. Cynthia uses her speaking engagements, Bible studies, and books to encourage women around the world to deepen their relationship with God. All the registration information can be found on our church website at www.gracebibleonline.org. Once again, that's gracebibleonline.org. There's a registration form available, so you can simply download it, print it out, fill it out, and mail it to the address indicated. Or you can simply give us a call here at Grace Bible Church, Redwood City, 650-366-9923. Once again, the number is 650-366-9923. We hope to see you in October. We once again want to thank you for listening to the Graceful Truth radio program each weekend. And it would be a wonderful encouragement to us to hear from you about how this program has been a blessing to your hearts. Thank you, Steve. And once again, that phone number is 650-366-9923. We'd love to see you at the conference. Details again at our website, gracefultruth.org, or by calling 650-366-9923. Thank you for joining us. Until next week at this time, with another edition of Graceful Truth, God bless. God bless.